Welcome back to the Leadership Cheat Code, where we unlock the cheat code to effective leadership. My name is Brian Vaughn. Today, we're going to discuss eight specific behaviors that can significantly impact your ability to lead your team. By being aware of these behaviors and implementing the right strategies, you can become a more successful and influential leader. So let's dive right in. First off, we're gonna talk about emotional agility. This refers to your ability to recognize and manage your emotions, accepting them and responding to various life experiences with an appropriate set of actions. Here are the key components of developing emotional agility. Number one is showing up. This steps involves confronting your emotions head on, your thoughts with openness and honesty. Instead of dismissing them or using different coping mechanisms to avoid them, you fully experience your feelings and recognize their presence. For example, if you're feeling upset after a meeting, instead of just brushing it off, pretending that it doesn't really affect you, you would acknowledge that you're upset and try to understand why. Step two, it's all about stepping out. This is a practice of distancing yourself from your emotions in a healthy way. It's about viewing your feelings and thoughts objectively as temporary states of mind rather than ultimate truths about you or your situation. So for instance, instead of just thinking, I'm sad, you might say to yourself, I'm noticing that I'm feeling sad, right? You're not sad, you're feeling this way. This kind of emotional detachment allows you to understand your emotions without letting them control you. Number three is walking your why. This steps involves knowing and understanding your core values and principles that are most important to you and using them to guide your actions. When you're faced with difficult decisions or situations, you refer back to your core values to help guide your responses. This helps to ensure that your actions are purpose-driven and aligned with who you are and what you believe in. So for instance, if one of your core values is honesty and you're in a situation where you are tempted to lie to avoid that conflict, refer back to your value, you know, because your value can guide you to not tell the lie and to tell the truth, to not compromise your integrity and your values in that moment, but to stay true to who you are and to stay true to your values. Number four is about moving on. This component is about proactively making changes in your life based on the insights you've gained from the previous step. It involves taking mindful, purposeful actions toward the things that matter the most to you. This can mean developing new habits, adjusting your mindset, or adopting new strategies to deal with challenges. So for an example, if you notice that you are often stressed because you procrastinate, you might implement a new time management system or find other ways to motivate yourself to start the task earlier. Emotional agility is not a one-time thing. It's not I just do it now and that's it, but it is a continuous process of learning and adapting. It's about building a healthy relationship with your emotions so they can serve as valuable tools for personal growth and well-being. Our second behavior is encouraging intellectual stimulation, where you may encourage intellectual stimulation among your team by fostering a culture of learning and innovation. This could include encourage employees to share and discuss new ideas, providing opportunities for professional development, and promoting creative problem solving. The key components of encouraging intellectual stimulation often include critical thinking, 
Now, this goes beyond just accumulating knowledge. It's about analyzing and interpreting and synthesizing information. Encouraging critical thinking means fostering an environment where questioning is promoted, where people are asked to analyze complex problems, dissect arguments, and make logical connections. It's about developing the ability to think in a structured and disciplined way. Next is problem solving. This entails encouraging creative problem solving strategies and decision making skills. It can involve presenting real life or hypothetical problems and asking individuals to strategize solutions, thereby encouraging them to apply their knowledge and creativity and learn from this particular process. Number three is innovation. Your ability as a leader to encourage innovation means promoting creativity, originality, and invention. It's about encouraging individuals to experiment with new ideas, approaches, and to experiment with creative solutions. That way you are able to challenge conventional ways of thinking and to strive for continual improvement. This might involve supporting risk-taking and learning from failures as much as your successes. Number four is collaboration. Encouraging collaboration means promoting teamwork, shared learning, and collective problem solving. It can often lead to greater creativity and innovation as different perspectives and ideas combine to create a more comprehensive view. This might involve group projects and team brainstorming sessions or other collaborative endeavors. The third behavior is championing experimentation. This behavior is about fostering a culture that embraces innovation and risk-taking where failures are seen as opportunities for learning rather than mistakes to be punished. By doing so, you make the team feel safe and supported when they want to experiment with new methods, new techniques, and ideas. So here are some key elements to encompass this particular behavior. Number one is to promote a culture of innovation. This involves creating an environment where creative thinking and innovation are encouraged and valued. It means fostering a mindset that is open to new ideas and perspectives. Open and inclusive communication channels should be set up where everyone feels safe to share their thoughts and suggestions. Workshops, uh, and brainstorming sessions and innovation labs can be regularly organized to stimulate creativity. Moreover, such a culture implies that every idea is worth considering, regardless of where it comes from within the organization, allowing you to break the hierarchy. Number two is to facilitate risk-taking. To truly encourage experimentation, you should facilitate an environment where taking calculated risk is seen as a positive move. This might mean providing explicit permission for team members to take risk and to potentially fail. It is about creating balance, encouraging team members to step out of their comfort zones and to try new approaches while also ensuring that they understand the importance of assessing and mitigating risk where possible. Number three is learning from failure. If an organization is encouraging risk-taking and innovation, now there are bound to be instances of failure. People are going to make mistakes. They're going to fail. It is essential to treat these not as setbacks, but as valuable learning opportunities. So instead of focusing on the negatives of a project or idea not working out, you should work with your teams to understand why the failure happened, what can be learned from it, and how this new knowledge can be applied in the future. This can help to continuously improve your processes and your approaches. Number four is to provide necessary resources. Championing experimentation isn't just about providing verbal encouragement. It requires tangible resources. You need to allocate time, funds, or perhaps other resources like training or tools specifically for the purpose of innovation and experimentation. This might mean setting aside certain hours in the week for creative thinking, 
providing a budget for experimental projects, or offering training in new methodologies or technologies. Number five is to incorporate new ideas. So as a part of championing experimentation, it's ensuring that these viable ideas aren't just praised and then forgotten, but to actively incorporate these into your organizational strategy and into your operations. This might include creating a process for assessing new ideas, determining their feasibility, and then planning for their implementation. It could also mean being willing to change existing processes or strategies if a new idea provides a better way of doing things. By seeing these ideas put into action, team members will feel valued and they're going to be encouraged to continue innovating because they're going to feel valued by the organization, regardless, once again, of where that idea comes from. I always tell my team, I may not always have the best ideas, so I look to others to generate those ideas. And that way it allows me to see from different perspectives and also to build on those ideas as well. So that's all about that experimentation and that innovation. Okay. So the fourth behavior is learning how to cultivate a culture of accountability. This refers to creating an environment where individuals take responsibility for their actions, their commitments and results. This includes holding oneself accountable as well as holding others accountable in a respectful and constructive manner. So here are some key aspects of this behavior. Number one is to encourage vulnerability. By openly acknowledging your mistakes, your failures as a leader, you can help to foster an environment where employees feel comfortable admitting their errors without harsh judgment. Trust me, they know when you make a mistake. They know when you're trying to hide something. So it just makes sense to be vulnerable to your team. Once again, this is your team. You're not lording over them. This is your group that you work with. So it might as well pay off. And trust me, there are big payoffs to being vulnerable. Things such as building trust, showing empathy and having open communication, because these things are crucial in creating in a culture of accountability. Number two is to encourage innovation and creative thinking. When employees are given the freedom to approach tasks in a unique and creative way, they are more likely to feel a sense of personal investment and ownership in their work. This can lead to higher levels of accountability. And that's what we truly want as leaders, that higher level of accountability, not just where we hold them accountable, but where they also hold themselves accountable so that they can be more dedicated to the outcomes of their own innovative ideas. Number three is to use technology to help boost accountability. So there are a number of project management and performance tracking tools that can help facilitate accountability. These types of tools provide transparency on who is responsible for what, tracking their progress, keeping records of individual performance. They can also provide visibility and can help identify where accountability needs to be improved. One of the things I love to use is smart sheets. I built tons of sheets and smart sheets for my team so that they're able to keep track of their projects, their tasks, their deliverables, and also I can see what they're working on, their completion, uh, and all those different metrics that I'm looking for as, as a leader. They can also see it, which is important. That way, they know if they're on the mark for completing that particular task or project. Number four is all about peer accountability. So you as a leader don't have to be the only one. You need to allow your employees to hold each other accountable because this can foster a sense of shared responsibility and collaboration. Methods like promoting peer accountability often include things like peer review systems or accountability partners or team objectives where everyone shares in the success or failure. And number five is personal development goals. 
By encouraging employees to set their own personal development goals, in addition to their professional ones, you can promote a culture of continuous learning and growth. This is key. This is super key because, right, the organization is also going to give you goals that need to be worked on, professional goals. But what are those things that they want to accomplish from their own learning and development perspective? Ask your employees to work to meet these personal goals. They can develop a stronger sense of personal accountability toward their goals, which also can translate to the accomplishment of their professional goals as well. The fifth behavior is all about developing future leaders. This behavior is an essential part of succession planning and organizational development. By grooming future leaders, organizations ensure that they have the pool of capable individuals ready to take on leadership roles as they become available. This allows the company to ensure long-term success. So here are some ways in which you as a leader can go about developing other leaders, future leaders within your organization. Number one is to identify those potential leaders. So as a leader, you should be observant of your team members, paying attention to who goes above and beyond in their responsibility, who shows initiative, who seeks peers feedback, who those peers respect, who do they listen to, who can handle pressure and make decisions when necessary, who can adapt and are flexible to the changing times. So, right. So these are potential indicators of leadership aptitude. You can also use things like 360 degree feedback tools, personality assessments to help identify those with leadership potential as well. But there's nothing like seeing it directly. Number two is to provide opportunities for growth. Start to delegate responsibilities that challenge your team members and to provide them with a chance to develop their new skills. Don't be afraid to delegate, but find areas where you can delegate. You might want to assign a promising individual to lead a small project or task, for instance. Alternatively, you can rotate roles within your team to ensure that everyone gets a chance to experience different responsibilities, helping you to identify who thrives in leadership positions. Number three is around coaching and mentoring. This should be a continuous personalized process where you guide potential leaders based on their individual needs and career aspirations. You could schedule regular meetings with them to discuss their progress, provide advice, and set new goals. Remember to also connect them with other mentors in your organization who can provide different perspectives or expertise. And one of the key ways to know what an individual's career aspirations are is through a career development plan. If you are not creating career development plans with your employees, I'm just going to tell you, you're failing as a leader. How can you know who you're looking for to develop, to move into other positions? If you not have, how do you know what their aspirations? This is where it comes from. Their career development plan. Take time to do that. Part of the career development plan should be the inclusion of leadership training. So as a leader, you should advocate for and facilitate access to leadership training programs. These can be arranged from in-house trainings that you may have to external workshops and courses. Consider including hard skills like project management, strategic planning, and soft skills like emotional intelligence and communication that rounds them out. They need all of that. They need the hard skills and the soft skills. Encourage potential leaders to take part and to provide them with resources they need to do so. And lastly is number five, which is to create a succession plan. This requires strategic thinking and foresight. Identify the key roles in your organization and who might be capable of filling them 
when they become vacant, right? So that's the part of succession planning is developing skills, knowledge, and ability so that people can step into those roles when those roles become vacant. This is not a one-time thing. This is a continuous plan that you're looking at that should be revisited and updated on a regular basis. Remember, part of your leadership is to communicate this plan effectively so that potential successors are aware and can prepare accordingly. Yes, it is okay if you tell a potential successor that they are a successor to that particular role. It shouldn't be a secret. It should not be a secret of who is a successor. That's just how, how it really should work. I know organizations do. I've seen organizations have secret rooms with successors on those uh, walls in those rooms in different Anyway, it should be known, right? If I have a staff person that is a successor to my role, that person should know because how else are you going to create a development plan to move that person into your role if you either win the lottery or you move into a different role yourself? Those are key things that you need to look for and that you need to do. All right, let's go to the sixth behavior, which is adopting a servant leadership style. Servant leadership means embracing a leadership approach that primarily focuses on the growth and well-being of the individuals on your team. The servant leader places the needs of their team members as a top priority, often ahead of their own. There are many times when we have to sacrifice as servant leaders. And the goal of servant leadership is to ensure that everyone in the organization is taken care of and are performing at their best. So here are some specific actions that we as servant leaders might take. Number one is empowerment. This involves providing team members with the tools, the resources, the opportunity, and the authority to fully unleash their capabilities and potential. A servant leader empowers their team members to take charge, make decisions, and develop solutions within their sphere of influence. This doesn't mean letting team members just flounder without guidance, but rather providing a supportive environment where they learn, grow, and feel confident in their abilities. Empowerment leads to higher job satisfaction, increased productivity, and a greater sense of ownership over their work. Number two is humility. A servant leader demonstrates humility in many ways. First, they understand and acknowledge that they do not know everything. I always tell my team, I may not know everything. I know where to find it if I really need to find it. But I may not know everything, but I am absolutely open to learning from others. And that includes them regardless of their position, regardless of the hierarchy in the organization. Servant leaders also, when they display humility, readily admit mistakes instead of shifting blame to others. Humility also involves treating everyone with respect and dignity, valuing their contributions, and recognizing their strengths and talents of others. We understand that there are others who have strengths out there that are different from ours, and we use those to complement our leadership style. We don't have egos. We show humility. So rather than just commanding from the top, right up on high, humble leaders are willing to roll up their sleeves and to work alongside their teams when necessary, right? We put aside the ego. Ego gets you nowhere. Humility actually will take you further than where your ego will ever take you. By being humble, this builds mutual respect and trust and can inspire team members to emulate the values that you show and that you are executing within your leadership. Number three is servitude. Servant leader, servitude, right? Kind of go hands in hands. This is where you as a leader are putting the needs of your team and organization before your own. I'm sure you've done this many, many times. 
right? This could be things like working extra hours to help a team member to meet a deadline. It could be stepping into to resolve conflicts, or it could be taking the time to mentor or coach team members. It could also be that you're making decisions that benefit the team or organizations, even if you don't directly benefit from it, or even if it involves personal sacrifice. I'm sure we've done that many, many times. Our main focus is on what we can give rather than what we can get. And our satisfaction comes from seeing our team succeed and thrive. And number four is stewardship. In servant leadership, stewardship refers to the leader's commitment to serving the needs of the organization and its members. Stewards in leadership roles see themselves as caretakers of the organizational resources, whether those are human, financial, technological, or other resources. We strive as leaders to make decisions that will sustain the organizational health and to grow over the long term. These types of leaders also have a strong commitment to ethical business practices, ethics over everything. We have to be good stewards. We have to ensure that we are extending care for the team, making decisions that benefit the whole team and contributing to a positive, nurturing work environment where everyone can thrive. Number five is promoting a culture of trust. Trust is the foundation for any successful relationship, whether it's personal or professional. It's the foundation for every single thing. And it is especially critical in a leadership context. A servant leader promotes a culture of trust by being transparent and open in their communication, admitting mistakes, and following through on their commitments. This shows respect to their team members by trusting them to do their jobs competently and to make good decisions. This also fosters an environment where team members feel safe to voice their ideas and concerns, knowing that they will be heard and not penalized. Trust fosters cooperation, facilitates effective communication, and increases team cohesion and productivity. The seventh behavior is displaying cultural intelligence. To display cultural intelligence means to demonstrate a sensitivity towards and understanding of diverse cultural contexts. It involves showing respect and considerations for cultural differences, recognizing that peoples have different perspectives and that these different perspectives are shaped by their cultural backgrounds, and using this to understand and communicate and collaborate more effectively. So here are some actions to take as a leader to ensure that you're displaying and enhancing your cultural intelligence. Number one is cultural knowledge acquisition. Take time to learn about various cultures and to understand their customs, those traditions, their values, and those communication styles. It's more than just about learning do's and don'ts, right? We all got those. What are things you should do? What are things you should not do? What are things you should say? Things that you shouldn't say. But it truly is about understanding why certain behaviors or actions are considered respectful or disrespectful. Now, you can go and read books and watch documentaries and use different types of resources from organizations such as UNESCO to gain this particular cultural knowledge. You can also actively engage with team members in your organization, on your team from different cultures, fostering an open conversation with them about cultural norms and perspectives. Number two is to encourage diversity. Fostering a culture that values diversity means creating an environment where differences are not just accepted, but they are celebrated. It's about acknowledging that everyone's unique perspectives and experiences can contribute to the organization's growth and success. You can encourage diversity by implementing fair hiring practices, promoting diverse role models, and organizing team building activities that celebrate different cultures. 
Furthermore, you can promote diversity of thought by encouraging open dialogue and sharing of different ideas and perspectives. Number three is to avoid stereotypes. While cultural norms can provide useful insights, these are usually generalizations and may not apply to everyone from that culture. Assuming everyone from a certain culture behaves in a specific way can lead to stereotyping and you absolutely want to avoid stereotyping because stereotyping can create misunderstandings and also damage relationships. You should see individuals as individuals, plain and simple, not just as representatives of that particular culture. You might involve asking people about their unique experiences and their perspectives rather than just making assumptions based on their cultural backgrounds. Number four is inclusive decision making. Inclusion is a key component of cultural intelligence. This involves not just acknowledging the presence of diverse cultures in your team, but also involving them in the decision making process. You can make sure you are getting input from a diverse range of voices, considering multiple perspectives before making a decision. This can lead to more innovative solutions, prevent cultural blind spots, and also ensure that decisions are fair and a representation of the entire team. And number five is to provide cultural training. Cultural training can help team members understand and respect different cultures, as well as identify their own unconscious biases. This can include workshops and courses and team building activities that focus on cultural diversity. You might also invite experts in cultural sensitivity to provide training or offer resources for self-paced learning, right? If you have a learning management system or LMS, then I'm sure in there somewhere, they have partnered with a content provider to provide tons of resources on different training topics. I can almost guarantee you there are cultural sensitivity trainings within your LMS system. You can either assign those to your team, right? You have the ability to do that, or they can take them on their own. But this training should be ongoing. It's not a one-time event. It just doesn't happen today, but it should be ongoing because that ongoingness, new word, if it's a word, it's great. If it's not, I just made it up. But that ongoingness helps to continuously reinforce the importance of cultural intelligence. And finally, the eighth behavior, it's practicing reflective leadership. This involves understanding and learning from your own values, beliefs, thoughts, actions, and behaviors. It involves considering your own experiences and actions in order to grow personally and professionally. And it helps to enhance your ability to lead others effectively because you are more self-aware. You are more reflective and introspective. So let's look at how to do this. How do you put this into practice? Number one, it's all about self-awareness. Right. Self-awareness is key. So you must understand your own capabilities and limitations, your style of leadership and your impact on your team. One way to improve self-awareness is through a SWOT analysis. Right. That is all about your strengths, your weaknesses, specifically your internal strengths and your internal weaknesses, your external opportunities and your external threats. This is a great analysis to do. I challenge any of you to take this, to apply it to your leadership journey. I can break it down for you. We can get into SWOT analysis and then we can get into toes analysis, but a SWOT analysis is great. This gives you insight into personal areas of improvement for yourself. You can also do a psychometric test or 360 degree feedback surveys. These are great, right? When you're getting information from all different types of levels, from all different types of places. Number two is about feedback and learning. A good leader is open to feedback and uses it as a tool for personal and professional development. Feedback is great. It is used for the improvement of oneself and for others. 
you can do this by actively seeking feedback, not just from the people above you, right? Your leaders above you, but also from your peers and from your team members. Furthermore, reflective leaders create a feedback culture within their teams, promoting open communication and continuous improvement. Number three is a growth mindset. Having a growth mindset is an amazing attribute that leaders should develop within their own leadership styles. It's about having that mindset, right? It is about having the ability to see challenges as opportunities for learning rather than obstacles, rather than failures. You learn from these. So as leaders, you have to embrace failure as a natural part of the learning process. This approach can be developed through regular reflection on your personal learning experiences, setting achievable goals for yourself, and consistently pushing yourself out of that comfort zone. Number four is about ethical considerations. Take time to reflect on the ethical dimensions of your actions and decisions. Understand your personal values and how these interact with the values of your organization and society as a whole. Regular ethical self-assessment, training, and dialogue can be helpful here. And number five is regular reflection. Regular reflection is the cornerstone, of course, of reflective leadership. This involves taking time to consider, once again, your actions, your thoughts, your decisions, your experiences, and to learn from them. Regular reflection allows you to understand your evolving leadership style. It helps you to identify areas of strengths and weaknesses and also to help you plan for future development. This can be done through journaling, which I encourage you to do, through meditation, or even structured reflection sessions with a mentor or a coach. And there you have it. Eight specific behaviors and a whole bunch of strategies that significantly impact your ability to lead your team. By being aware of these behaviors and implementing the right strategies, you can become more effective and influential in your leadership. Remember, leadership is a continuous journey of improvement. Thank you for tuning in. And remember, to unlock your leadership effectiveness, you must master the cheat code. See you next time.